Here we go. Worthy living, empowered to honor Jesus. I am excited about what I'm teaching this morning. Uh, I will give you kind of the heads up. We have 12 verses to get through. Uh, we've been trying to teach three or four verses on a Sunday. That way we just are not overloading you with information. However, there's no good place to divide this text. And so we're starting chapter 2 today in 2 Thessalonians. And, um, well, we're just going to have to cover a lot of material fast. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move, I'm going to try to move kind of quickly, okay? Did everybody get a bulletin? You need a place to take some notes this morning? We're going to talk about end time events. It's a topic that people love to argue about. And so uh, we're going to look at Scripture, and you're going to see what Scripture has to say about end-time events. Does that work for you? It doesn't really matter if it works for you or not. We're going to do it anyway. All right, here we go. Our key verses for 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, So we keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. I love that. May He give you the what? The power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. We talked about that last week. Verse 12, then, it's a big then, after we have lived this life worthy of God's calling on our lives so that we can do all the things that he's empowered us to do and our faith prompts us to do, then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you will be honored along with him. And this is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So that section there that says the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live in our text today is specifically dealing with the way we live as we wait for Jesus's return. He's coming back. Okay. It's been a theme that Paul started back in 1 Thessalonians. He's bringing clarity to it in 2 Thessalonians. Paul is reminding the believers at Thessalonica they have been taught the truth about Jesus' return before. So he's just reminding them. They do not need to panic. They do not need to fear because of what other people are coming along and saying now. Paul has taught them. They know the truth. They don't need to worry whenever someone else comes along and tells them something different. There is some, I like this. This is very contemporary here, very uh, relevant. There is some fake theology being propagated in the New Testament church. Do you see that? Like fake news? You don't care, do you? Okay, well, it doesn't matter. There's some fake theology, and they're getting all weird about it. And so Paul's writing them to them to say, don't worry about the fake theology concentrate on the true theology. So I titled this message this morning, Truth Triumphs Over Lawlessness. Get your brain around that. It's going to be excellent. Imagine that you are the one that lives in Thessalonica. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life and for God's blessing in your life. However, it has only earned you persecution from both your Greek friends and your Jewish acquaintances. Basically, nobody likes you anymore. Don't look around right now. Your hope is that Jesus is going to return soon to gather his followers, his children, and to take you and all those fellow followers up to heaven 
to rest. We talked about that the week before last. But someone has come into this community of believers and they have begun to share some false theology. They have been sharing that Jesus has already come back and gathered his followers and taken them to heaven. And you missed the rapture. You ever felt that way? Sometimes I go into Home Depot and think that I have missed the rapture. I just need a little help. Anybody here? We made jokes about it when we were kids. You know, you go home and nobody else in the family is at home. I mean, I was raised in a pastor's family. So if you go home to the house and there's nobody there and you don't know where everybody is at, as a preacher's kid, the first thought through your mind, because you know you're a little twerp back then, is, I have missed the rapture. My family is gone and I'm here by myself. That's kind of what's going on with the church at Thessalonica. Somebody comes and tells them, the reason that you're suffering this persecution is that Jesus has already come. Someone's communicated to them that Jesus has already come. You've missed the rapture of the church. And that is the reason that you are living through the persecution that God promised unbelievers. So now... You are the target of God's judgment. You didn't just miss the rapture, but now you're going to receive God's judgment. So it may shake your faith a little bit. It would mine. It did mine. Whenever I went home and there's nobody there. I just got to say that I kind of love it. Yesterday, one of my teenagers called Diane and I. Or no, it was Friday night. It was Friday night. We left the house because Diane and I are big enough now. We can go eat by ourselves. And so we left the house without telling our teenagers. And one of our teenagers comes home and nobody's there. Where are you guys at? <laughs> We're out on the town. What are you doing? <laughs> I came home and no one's here. It's not my job to receive you every time you come home. <laughs> You're a teenager now. In fact, unload the dishwasher and make some tea. <laughs> Hallelujah for teenagers. I love, everybody says you dread the terrible twos, right? And see, I think that children, I'm way off track already. I think that children should be born 18 months old because that's when they start to be fun. I enjoy them then and I enjoy them more. And then they say, oh, well, wait until they're a teenager. I love having teenagers. In fact, we homeschooled our kids. We may home college our kids. And if I can buy the lot next door to us, if they want to move there, no, we're not going that far. <clears throat> Back to the task at hand, Brent. Number one, don't be easily deceived. Think about that for a moment. Don't be easily see deceived. Now, I made a joke about fake news, but we live in a world where anybody can say anything and you don't know if it's true or not. We've been in that state in theology for a long time because we have people who consider themselves Christians who are doing Christianity from somewhere other than God's Word. All right? I kind of have a soapbox this morning. Don't be easily deceived. Here's how. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to go all the way through to verse 12, even if it takes me until 2 o'clock. Here we go. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I'm kidding. Let us clarify some things 
about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to him. We will be gathered to him. Paul has instructed them while he was there in Thessalonica. Paul instructed them and previous, in his previous letter, he has instructed them about the rapture of the church, the coming of the day of the Lord, or, uh, and also how it would include God's severe persecution of unbelievers. He's going to come and gather his church, take them away, and then pour out his judgment on those unbelievers left behind. We've covered it in weeks previous. The church at Thessalonica is suffering persecution. So it stands to reason with a little push from someone else outside of the church that has a Bible, they are beginning to think that the rapture has already taken place, that they have been left behind, and now they're suffering God's judgment. Paul is writing to them to clarify. By the way, there are people in, quote, Christendom who still teach this idea that we are living post rapture, and we are presently living under God's judgment. So as we read this, this has a very practical application that as you run into people and they may say, you don't hear it very often, this is a small group of people. People. I'll leave the adjectives out. Uh, It's a small group of people who don't read their Bible that think that we live in the post rapture era. And it's just, Paul is writing to us to say, no, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And here's why. Uh, Verse two, he says, don't be easily shaken or alarmed. Okay. I, I often am terribly unimpressed with uh, popular Christianity that every time somebody sneezes in Israel, or every time somebody says, I can destroy the world, or every time the UN meets to create a one-world government, there are Christians who go into panic and fear mode. And I just want to speak against that right now. Don't! Don't do that. Jesus is coming back. That's a good thing. So we don't need, as the body of Christ, we're not here to instill fear into the world. That's Satan's job. Oh, man. Hallelujah. Get rid of your sandwich board. The end is coming. The end is coming. Read the book. It's going to come. And Jesus is coming back with his mighty angels to take us to heaven. What are you afraid of? Nothing? No, it's ridiculous. And it actually makes me angry. So I just need to move along. Or are you going to see a side of me that you shouldn't see? Because it just makes me nuts that, that Christians have been the ones pushing fear of the end of the world. It is the end of the world. It's the end of this life where I get holes in my tires, and I'm turning 44, and my stomach sounds like a coffee machine, and uh, I'm losing my hair on my head, but I'm growing it on my back. The rapture's coming. I'm happy. (laughs) You want to see? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Focus, Brent. 
So sometimes I get extra excited about messages, and then I, get, I have a hard time communicating them because I get so wound up about them. Did we finish reading the text? I don't think we did. We're not even to my notes yet. That was all free, by the way. Don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. It hasn't. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had, watch this, because Paul knows that this garbage is going to come from spiritual people. Even if they say that they, if they claim that they have had a spiritual vision, I had a vision and the world's going to end tomorrow. Korea is going to nuke everybody. Okay. No more Rogaine for me. <laughs> they come and they say, I had a revelation. I was praying and all of a sudden this voice spoke to me and the end has already begun. No, that's not what the Bible says. Or they have a letter that's supposedly from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, from us, what he says. Okay, so we finally made it through the text. Sorry. Don't be shaken by information contrary to God's word. Guys, we have the instruction book. So whenever people say alarming things, we can look in the instruction book and we can see, oh, yes, Jesus is coming. And for those that are not believers, they have reason to be afraid. But for the rest of us, we're going to heaven to live wonderfully and eternally. Yeah, good. Okay, bring it on. Okay? There, don't be shaken by information contrary to God's word. There is a reason that I encourage people to read your Bibles. There is a reason that I preach and I teach from Scripture. There's a reason that I minimize, most of the time, giving my opinion about things. Because my opinion doesn't account for a whole lot. It doesn't. The word of God is the truth. I, don't put, I push God's word because God has given you and given me truth. God has given us truth. Truth that we can trust in. Are you with me? So when we read the scriptures and it says, Jesus has not come back, you're not living in a time of persecution, we can believe that to be true and we can breathe a sigh of relief. Okay? Now, when we do not know the truth of God's word. We've talked about it on and off over the last year because a study came out about a year ago about we are living in the most biblically ignorant world in all of the last 2,000 years. We are presently living in the most biblically ignorant world. Christians don't know their Bibles. Okay, so I'm making a big issue of this because uh, largely Christianity doesn't know what Christianity in the Bible is about. We know what Christianity is in the media and on TV shows and what our neighbor says and what grandpa told us, but we don't know what the Word of God says. Hmm. God has given us the truth that we can trust in. If you do not know the truth... Or when we choose to dismiss the truth or believe that someone else has something to offer, we end up believing something other than the truth. I know that's 
kind of a duh moment, right? If you don't believe the truth, you end up believing something that is not the truth, and then fear and doubt creep in. That's the truth. So we believe in the truth, we have confidence. We don't believe in the truth, we push the truth aside, or we choose to remain ignorant to God's truth, and fear and doubt creep in and begin to mess with the joy in our life. Ah. Now, some of the believers at Thessalonica have become fearful about whether or not Jesus has already raptured the church out and is beginning to rain down his judgment. So they're afraid. And from what we've read, if they think that they're living under God's judgment, they have every reason to be afraid. The problem is these liars who have brought this false theology into the church, they took some of what Paul had taught You know, if you're going to tell a good lie, you take the truth and you twist it. Just a little bit, not a whole lot, just a little bit. You take the truth and you twist it. So they took what Paul had already taught, that Jesus would return. He would gather the believers from earth. He would rain down judgment on all those that were left. And then so they, 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 yeah, all of that's true. And then they twisted it and they said, now all of that is true, but it's already happened. It's already begun and you have missed the rapture of the church. You have missed escape from the persecution that God promises to send after he gathers up all of the believers to himself and takes them to heaven. You are left behind. That could be like a movie series title, huh? (laughs) Left behind. Oh, you've missed the rapture. Are you scared? (laughs) I'm glad we have Christianity to bring hope to everyone. Evidently, these liars that had come into the church, they even attributed this information to Paul. They said, Paul has written this in a letter to us. And so Paul even says, you guys have missed the, the rapture. Paul is saying here, don't be easily deceived. Don't trust in what is not true. Is that difficult? I have Facebook and I look at Facebook every once in a while, but I know enough about Facebook to know that there's a lot of alarming things on Facebook. (laughs) There's a lot of things that are not true on Facebook and Pinterest, but I can't admit to you that I have a Pinterest account. All right, so my son told me not to say that. Paul's concern here is that they will become disillusioned. The church at Thessalonica, he's writing to them because he's very concerned that this this untruth has come in, this falsehood has come in, and he doesn't want them to become uh, disillusioned, disillusioned with Christianity, that they would slip away from their trust in the truth that Paul had originally brought to them. He brings them the truth and says, God's going to give you eternal life. He's going to bless you abundantly. You're going to, he's going to take care of you. He's going to love you. It's going to be good. And then they live in persecution and somebody else comes along and says, you missed the rapture. Well, then at that point, what motivation is there to continue to serve God? None. We've missed the rapture. Now we're under the judgment of God. So you might as well just give in and deal with it. 
Paul's writing to them to say, no, don't give up. Now, Paul had already instructed them about the day of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, he says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. So there's a little mystery to it, right? When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as the pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. So that's why these people, that's why these people are panicking a little bit. We have missed the rapture and God is about to rain down his, his disaster and it's going to fall on us as suddenly as a woman's labor pains begin. It's going to be terrible. Verse 4, but, it's contrast, that's what's going to happen. But you, people at Thessalonica, you people in Farmington, New Mexico, you believers, you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. That's good. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light, those who are followers of Christ that are believers, let us who live in the light be clear-headed. No need to panic. Protected by the armor of faith and love. That's huge. And wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Jesus has saved you. When he decides to rapture his people away, you can be confident he will not miss you. He will remember to take you with him. The confidence of our salvation. See, we like to teach a Christianity that says, oh, if you're not at church when Jesus comes, will he be able to find you? <laughs> what if you have a flat tire and park in front of a bad place? Jesus won't be able to find you in that parking lot. <laughs> no, no, no. Be confident in your salvation that we serve an almighty God. Whenever he comes back, he's going to get all of his children. You, sweetheart, if you can get all your children in your car when you leave Walmart, God can get all of his children when he takes the church off of the earth. That's good. He is as good of a father as you are a parent, at least. I'm setting the bar really low for some of you because I know some of you have left your kids at the church on Sunday morning. <laughs> Get home, call Brent. <laughs> hey, uh, is my kid there? <laughs> nope. <laughs> we just blocked him out. No kidding. I'm kidding. Verse 8. Uh, I'm getting distracted. Ver pardon me. Verse 9 of this passage that I just read to you. He, he just explains. He says, so Jesus is coming back. It's going to be terrible, but... We're children of the light, so we don't need to worry about it. Jesus is going to take us home. So the last verse of that passage, he says, listen carefully. He says, for God, God Almighty, maker of creator of heaven and earth, the grand engineer of your perfect salvation, that God, God chose to save us 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his plan. He's not going to mess it up here at the end, dude. God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Can you imagine God, the father of all? Oops, I left Brent there after I poured out all hell and damnation on the earth. Oh man, I'm sorry. No, that's not God. Well, I don't know why we promote that idea. It makes me angry too. All right, I'm in an angry mode today, huh? He says, stay alert, be clear-minded, be clear-headed. You are protected by the armor of faith and love and your helmet, the confidence of your salvation through Jesus Christ himself. If you believe in Jesus, you got to believe he'll take you when the time comes. You just know that. God chose to save you, not to pour his anger out on you. Get your arm, your, your, I started to say get your arm around that. Get your arm around that idea. Just, just pull it in right there. God chose to save you, not to pour out his anger on you. Well, I thought that God was angry about everything. Now, I'm angry about everything this morning because people don't believe what the Bible says. They don't read it and believe it. They, they think that God's angry at believers. And over and over, God says, I gave Jesus Christ, and, and by grace, I'm happy with you, and I'm going to come to the earth, and I'm going to search the whole earth and make sure that all of my little chickens come home. I'm not going to miss any of them. And we go, oh, I'm not sure that I believe in a God that can do that. <sighs> you moron. Come on. Read your Bible. Oh, okay, we have to edit that part out. Keep going. All right. Don't live in fear. Live in the confidence of the truth of God's salvation. Living in fear is not living worthy of God's calling. Well, Brent, I have good things to be afraid of. Do you? We were talking earlier in service about people that lost their electricity in Florida this last week. My refrigerator goes down, buddy, we got problems. <laughs> I have eating issues. <laughs> so if we lose electricity, man, I have to get the hibachi out again and eat raw chicken because uh, I never was able to do coals and stuff. Anyway, that's a side story. Yeah, there's things to be afraid of. There's things to be concerned about. There's things to plan for. There's things to be prepared for. I'm not saying don't be a good steward of life. I'm saying there's no reason for us to fear whenever God has said, I will take my children home. There's no reason for us to doubt that and be afraid of that. Does that make sense? Living in fear is not honoring to Jesus. Living in faith that Jesus said he will rapture us to rest in heaven is living worthy of God's calling. This is why we must we must study our Bibles. We must study the scriptures. And we must trust that what God has given us in the Bible is true and it is trustworthy. See, some people think that I try to get people to read Bible because read the Bible just because I love the Bible. That's not true. I want you to read the Bible because I want you to live an extraordinary life. And this is the instruction book. And if you don't read it, it's not going to be so extraordinary. You'll make bad decisions. Otherwise, we live in fear that deception brings. Number two, number two, the signs are obvious. Uh, we're kind of going through a thing right now where September 23rd, 
again, I saw this on Facebook, so it's legitimate. Uh, on, on September 23rd, the stars, the moon, the comets, they're all going to align, and Jesus is going to return. Okay? The astrologers, the Christian astrologers have spoken, and so we all need to be scared. Okay? Get your guns. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All those who believe and love Jesus and love their fellow man, get a gun. He's coming back. <laughs> All right. All right. The signs are obvious. Now, now we could say, ah, oh, Brent, stick to your notes. Here we go. Chapter, th- uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Yeah, I, I just said a while ago that I limit my opinion, and then I just wax stupid about all that stuff. All right. Verse 3, he says, don't be fooled by what they say. Now, Paul is talking specifically about these people who have come into the church with bad theology, false theology, and non-truth. It's not God's word, okay? So don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, watch, listen carefully, because some of you are going to say, well, Brent, that's just your opinion. This is not my opinion, dude. This is the word of God. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the return of Jesus, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction, destruction. God reveals this. The first sign that Jesus is about to remove his children, that's us, so we should be paying attention to the signs. The first sign that God, Jesus is going to come to earth and he's going to remove his children from planet earth is that there will be a great rebellion against God. Uh, some translations say a great apostasy, a great falling away. So it's going to be a time when apparent believers deliberately abandon their faith in Jesus. This is not a gradual rebellion, because we immediately say, oh, well, in America, we're turning away from God. You know, 10 years ago, 90% of people uh, believed that they were Christians. Now only, I don't know what it is, 70% say that they're Christians. So there's this great turning away. No, 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 no. This is not gradual over 10 years. There's going to be a great rebellion against God, and it's not going to be like, "Ah, I just don't believe in God anymore. It's going to be, they're going to go from faith in God to we believe that God is bad. Rejection of God, a rebellion against God. Okay, this is not a gradual rebellion. It is a great rebellion. Large numbers of people who you thought were strong believers in Christ will deny Christ as Lord and Savior. It will be obvious. Uh, Can you say obvious? Okay, because a lot of what has gone on in the last how many every years that you know we're anticipating the second coming of Christ is we do all this thing on speculation. And it's like, well, if this happens and this happens, then Jesus is going to come back. And, and Paul tells us, hey, hey, it's going to be obvious. This is going to be a sign that you're not going to easily miss. The second thing that is going to happen, not necessarily in chronological order, they may happen simultaneously, I don't know, he doesn't tell us. The second thing that Paul points out here is that there will be the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will be revealed. He's going to be revealed, Okay. Before Jesus returns, there's going to be a rebellion, a great rebellion, and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. Again, when this happens, 
I do not believe it will be up for debate. I believe it will be obvious. We're not all going to stand around saying, hmm, is Trump the Antichrist? (laughs) Which would be a total different group of people who eight years ago were like, hmm, is Obama the Antichrist? We're geniuses, you know it. God says, God, here again we have God, creator of heaven and earth. He unrolls the skies, calls the stars out by name, and he says, he says, God says, I'm going to reveal to you. That means make known, right? I mean, if I revealed to you the hair on my back, you'd be able to see it, right? Tied that all together really well. If God is going to reveal something to you, don't you think you'll know it? So I really do think that when God reveals the Antichrist, all of those who live in the light are going to go, that is definitely the Antichrist. We're not going to stand around and be like, I don't know, man. What do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I saw on his Facebook page he said this, and I saw that he, he tweeted this, and I saw that he did this in the news, and I saw this on Pinterest, and I saw this on the Internet, and, and my friend said this, and so I really think he's the Antichrist. No, no, no. When God reveals, it will be obvious. Just saying, I think that God's, I think he's pretty good at his job, actually. <sighs> This is why I get frustrated is you're like, we just don't know who the Antichrist is. It's because God hasn't revealed it yet. (laughs) You'll know. It's kind of like when the kids come in and say, is dinner ready? Are we eating? (laughs) Nope. It is not ready. I said a while ago, I love teenagers, huh? (laughs) Anyway, we have a food thing in my house. Me and my daughter are kindred spirits. When she was like two years old, she comes to the edge of the bed. It's six o'clock in the morning. What's for lunch? <laughs> like, oh, child, you are blessed. <laughs> I'm with you. So here is how the Antichrist will behave. He's going to tell us. So number three, the man of lawlessness. He's going to explain this to the Antichrist. Uh, verses two, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Explaining the man of lawlessness. I hope that you're writing this down because later you're going to be like, wait, no, what, what did he say? You need, to, you need to write this down. You need to look at the text. You need to study this for yourself because uh, it is possible that we will see these signs in our lifetime. And so we need to be knowledgeable of what the Bible tells us are the signs so that we're not easily deceived. Are you with me? So I'm not just telling you this just because it's fun. And I'm not trying to be angry to entertain you. Uh, I want you to know the truth, okay? So verse four, he says, he, talking about the man of lawlessness, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming claiming that he himself is, capital G, God. Now, the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will not only come against God, against Christianity, he will come against all religions, all forms of worship. Are you with me? Which, here's a side note, and I'm going to qualify this as my opinion. We get all wound up about what Islam is doing. 
Oh, the Antichrist is coming from Islam. Uh, if he does, he'll denounce Islam. And he'll say that all religions are wrong because he's the only God. And so we will only serve him. So he'll denounce whatever religion he may or may not come from. Are you with me? He's going, he's going to come after all other forms of worship. You will worship him and him alone. So he himself will claim to be the one and only true God. Now, here again, I'm going to fall back to my sarcasm and say, don't you think that'll be obvious? Well, I'm not sure. What if he does it secretly? No! He's going to get on the television. He's going to get on the interweb. And he's going to broadcast to the world that Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, all the isms are wrong and I am God and have arrived and I'm on the throne. Worship me. And he's going to make it public and it will be obvious. And those who read the word of God and believe it to be true will recognize him as the man of lawlessness. Those who don't, we're going to get deceived, okay? I'm not setting this up to be happy for you at the end. Those who read and know the truth about God and what he's up to, they will recognize the Antichrist. Those who do not know the truth are likely to be deceived and follow this man. Paul reminds them again here in verse 5. He says, don't you remember that I told you about this when I was with you? See, Paul's frustrated too. Hello, all you people at Thessalonica, were you sleeping that Sunday morning that I talked about all of this? Oh, I just didn't think it was important. <laughs> I didn't think it was relevant to me today. I didn't think I needed to remember it. Paul, like, don't you remember? I taught you this, and now you're being all fraidy cat about it. Paul personally addressed these issues when he was there visiting in Thessalonica. Kind of a side note. He says, don't you remember that I? He says, we, all through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. But here, he says, listen, you geniuses, I personally gave you that information. So don't say, oh, I don't, I don't think that Silas told us. I think, you know, Timothy, he's young and he stutters and he's hard to understand. He talks about all this other stuff. And so I, you know, we, we don't know. Paul says, no, I personally told you about the man of lawlessness. So you have no excuse for being ignorant. So now, are you okay? I think that Paul got frustrated sometimes. I think God gets frustrated sometimes. Now, uh, when we talk about end time events, people get spooky about it, right? Do, 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 do. <clears throat> Which is exactly why Paul is instructing us again about the coming of Jesus and this man of lawlessness. Paul wants to take, watch this, Paul wants to take the spooky out of end time events, Okay? Paul wants believers to live with confidence in Jesus as opposed to living in fear of the Antichrist. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, but Brent, didn't you read in Revelation and Daniel? I mean, he's going to come and he's going to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's going to devastate, and it's going to be all bad, and he's going to slaughter people, and he's gonna, it's going to be horrible. We should be afraid. I don't plan on being here, man. 
You hang around. Tell me how it is. I'm gone. (laughs) Call me a wimp. But when Jesus comes with his mighty angels in heaven to gather his church, all you're going to see is the soles of my tennis shoes. I'm not hanging around. Okay? Nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is coming back. Number four. Here we go. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets really good, by the way. This is, this is exciting. God is in control. Pardon me. God is in control. <clears throat> Sometimes you hear in church groups, even in our church, because it's a non-denominational church. We have people from different backgrounds. So they have different ideas whenever about some things in theology. And so we get together and we have these really uh, sometimes animated um, uh, debates and discussions about, about theology. But we have this discussion sometimes that you'll hear about, about the reach of the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> is God sovereign over big events? Is he over, sovereign over small events? Uh, or is he sovereign over just little events? Or, or to what capacity, to what reach is God sovereign? And so it, it's a great debate. It's a black hole. And once you fall into it, you, we, we just lose you forever. Uh, the debate is typically around God's predestination of those who will or will not be saved. That's where it gets really emotional. I like the way some of you are looking at me. This is a side note just to get us to where we're going. So sorry, I'm throwing a grenade in some of your theology, huh? The debate of God's sovereignty is typically around God's predestination of those who will or will not be saved. Unfortunately, the debate spills over into God's predestination of events. By predestination, I know that's a $10 word. It means that God determines beforehand what will happen, and it will happen. So what, what events does he predestine to happen? Okay? Are, are you with me? I like, some of you are looking at me really blank. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, as we look at these verses, as we look at these following verses, I want you to ask yourself, here's some great questions. As we look through these verses, is God leaving in time events up to chance? Okay, just a question. Is God allowing the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, is he allowing him freedom to do anything and everything that he wants? Because whenever we read uh, Revelation and we read the horrible things that he's going to do, it's like he just goes, the, the, the Antichrist is unleashed, free to do whatever he wants as we read through this. Is God allowing the Antichrist freedom to do anything he wants? Third, does God at any point give up control of end time events? Does God give up control? Okay? So just questions. Ponder these things. Deep theological questions. Mm. Verse 6, he says, And you know writing to believers, you know what is holding him, who is him? The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. You know what is holding the man of lawlessness back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For the lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Are you comprehending? 
Is this man of lawlessness going to come wreak havoc on the entire world completely unabated? Nope, you're not. God is holding this man of lawlessness back and will continue until God himself is ready to reveal who this man is. God's got control of the man of lawlessness. What? I thought he just did whatever he wanted. It's not what the scripture says. You know what is holding him back. What is holding him back? God is holding him back. He says, and it will remain, he'll remain, the man of lawlessness will, will remain secret until the one, he's talking about God, who's ready to step back and let him go. God's got him on a leash. So is the man of lawlessness just going to get to do whatever he wants? No. God is holding him back, and God will continue until God himself is ready to reveal to the earth who this man is. But that's not all. There's... Do y'all not watch infomercials? That's not all. There's more. Verse 8. Then... Y'all are not being very much fun this morning. Uh, verse 8, he says, Then... The man of lawlessness will be revealed. Okay, so now God steps back and he actively reveals who the Antichrist is. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But, everyone say but. Watch what happens next. The Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Certain things stick in my mind as I go through Scripture. And one of them was, whenever I was teaching through Revelation, I had, uh, before I taught through Revelation, I had this perspective of spiritual warfare. We stand toe-to-toe with Satan and we slug it out. <laughs> right? He takes one and you quote a Scripture, and he takes one and you quote a Scripture and you Spiritual warfare. And then I read Revelation, and we talk about these battles that happen in Revelation. And there are battles that happen in Revelation. If you remember back, uh, there's, there's battles where all of the forces of evil gather in a valley. It's going to be a battle. Jesus shows up. Poof, the battle's over. So we get all excited about the coming of the Antichrist. Jesus is going, or God is going to reveal the man of lawlessness, comma, but the Lord will slay him with the breath of his mouth. Is this even a sword fight? The answer is no, by the way. He's going to go, and Satan's going to fall over dead. He doesn't fall over dead, but you get my point. He's going to blow on him. He's going to, it's over with. He's going to slay him with the breath of his mouth. And he's going to destroy him with the splendor of his coming. He's going to come in the clouds with the angels. And, and it's going to be bright. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be supernatural. It's going to happen. The Lord will slay him supernaturally when Jesus returns in splendor with the mighty angels. And it will all be quite magnificent. Sweetheart, this is obvious. 
oh, I think he's going to come quietly and sneak in. No, that's not what the Bible says. He's going to reveal the man of lawlessness and he's going to slay him with the breath of his mouth and with the splendor of his coming. I don't know what you're shaking in your boots about. There is nothing. If you're on the wrong side, should you be afraid? Oh, dadgum, you better be afraid. If you're on Jesus' side, we are spectators. We will watch it happen. It will be obvious. Now, as believers, we have all certainty that God is in control. That would make a great song, wouldn't it? Like, God is in control. There is nothing. Everyone say nothing. For us to fear because God, who gave his son because he loves us, he loves us so much. He wants to save us. He chose us to save us, not to pour out his judgment on us. We have nothing to fear because God, who is in control, loves us and he is sovereign over all things. So we're confident in our God. Now, here's the caution when this man of lawlessness comes, he is going to appear powerful. Are you with me? He's going to appear powerful. Our job as believers is to know the truth that is given to us. That's why we read soap. It's the truth. Our job is to know the truth that God has given to us so that we are not easily deceived. So that whenever the moon and the stars and the comets line up and they say, the end is here, we're not the ones saying, oh no, I already paid for the marriage retreat. I'm not going to get my money back. <laughs> we, we worry about the dumbest things. <laughs> Carry on, Brent. Verse 9. Stick to your notes, man. He says, we're not going to get done if we don't hurry up. We're on verse 9, and we've got to get to verse 12. All right. Did anybody bring a sack lunch? Does anybody have any loaves and fishes? I'm just kidding. Uh, this man, verse 9, he says, this man, talking about who? The Antichrist, the, the man of lawlessness. This man will come to do the work of Satan, that's scary, with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those, watch this, who are on their way to destruction because they refuse, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. This man of lawlessness is going to come and he's going to do all of these miracles and these signs, right? He's going to demonstrate supernatural power. And it's going to be people who are believers of God and the supernatural that are going to say, wow, this man's doing these supernatural things and he says he's God and he's doing miracles. He must be God. So they are easily deceived because they're not watching the signs, right? I mean, if somebody came in here and did a miracle and then claimed to be God, some of us would be tempted to believe that. So it's not like, uh, the reason that Paul is telling us, hey, pay attention, because this guy's going to be a master of deception. So when you see all of these signs coming, just know he's coming to deceive you. 
So don't be like, oh, I got this. I'm not, no worries here. Like, oh, did you see that? I wish I had a pencil. I'd make it, you know, floppy for you. And then you would think that I'm the Antichrist. Because it'd be miraculous, right? Any, forget it. Only a few people know anyway. People will be deceived because he's going to do miracles, okay? So, so he gives us this information. Don't be deceived. Now, who is this man going to deceive? Because even though I've just said don't, the church doesn't live in fear, we live in the knowledge of the truth, which gives us confidence. He is going to deceive some people. And he tells us right here in verse 10, those on their way to destruction are going to be the ones that are deceived because, why? Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. It's very simple. We are saved, not Jesus' salvation, saved from the Antichrist, saved. We are saved from the Antichrist by truth. That's what the Scripture tells us. Those who love and accept the truth will save them, okay? We are saved by the truth. Truth, this is where we started and this is where we're going to end. Truth trumps over triumphs over lawlessness. Did you get that? Truth triumphs over lawlessness. Those who refuse God, refuse Jesus, and cling to the wisdom of humanity, they will be deceived by the man of lawlessness. But those whose faith is in the truth of Jesus Christ, they will triumph. They will not be deceived, and they will be saved. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We put our trust in the truth of God's word. And when the man of lawlessness comes, we'll recognize it. We won't be deceived and we'll be saved. I could have done that an hour ago. Don't disengage yet. There's more. This is where we tend to stop thinking, and especially because it's kind of getting late in the morning already, and, and uh, we've got what we want from the Scripture. Okay, we're, we're going to believe in the truth, and, and uh, I'm good. So what else can matter here? We tend to assume that God has, has complete control of saved people. Okay, He's got us all under control. We're saved. He's, we're His children. He's got control of us. There's security in that. There's confidence in that. So, so He somehow surrenders control of those who are not saved. Uh, God just allows, you know, karma to deal with unbelievers, right? That's not what the Scripture teaches us. Watch carefully what happens in verse 11. So God... God, this is the God that we think of as believers, a merciful, loving God, full of grace. So God will cause them, who is that? The people that didn't put their trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Because some of you are going to hear part of what I say, and then you're going to say, well, I don't believe that. Listen to what the scriptures are saying. God, who's acting here? Who's the subject? God will cause them, those who do not put their faith in the, in the truth of, of God's salvation by Jesus Christ, God will cause them to be greatly, greatly deceived. 
Well, I don't believe God's that way. Well, you're not believing in the God of the scriptures then. You're making up your own God. Go back to sleep. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. They'll believe these lies. God will cause them to look at the Antichrist while he's obviously blaspheming God and they will say, this is God, and they'll believe it. Well, I don't think that that's fair. God has given us the Bible, told us over and over, read it, study it, believe it, put your confidence in it. And then when we don't, he should offer us grace. You need thumped in the head, dude. No, he's told us, believe in the truth of his word. Put your confidence in Jesus because the deceiver is coming. And if you don't have your faith in the truth of Jesus, God will cause you to be deceived. I don't believe that. That's just what the Bible says, okay? I like the way you're looking at me this morning. I've enjoyed being your pastor for the last 14 years. (laughs) I'm going to check into car sales now. (sighs) Verse 12. Then, so God's going to cause them to greatly be deceived. They're going to believe in the lies of the Antichrist. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Well, that's not fair. If God causes them to be deceived, then God's going to judge them for enjoying evil. God tells us over and over and over and over, this is my plan for salvation. Put your trust in it, and I'll take you to heaven forever. And in our arrogance, we say, not now. I don't think I believe it. I don't think that I want to give up everything to, I don't want to surrender all to the kingdom of God. I want to just kind of dabble on the edges. And whenever this this antichrist comes, I want to see what he's all about. We want to play games with God after he's given us absolute truth. We want to make it somehow gray and want God to cover it with his grace. We want to rebel against the message of salvation and say, God, I will receive you on my own agenda. And if I fail to receive you on my agenda and the Antichrist comes and and you cause me to be deceived, you shouldn't hold it against me. No, no, no. God has told us, and if you play games with it, you are likely to be deceived. Not not just by the Antichrist. God will cause you to be deceived by the Antichrist. You'll love evil rather than believing in truth. Stick to your notes, Brent. In this passage, there are two groups of people. Those who believe in Jesus and are supernaturally saved... And there are those who refuse to believe and they are supernaturally deceived and therefore condemned by God for enjoying evil rather than believing in truth. It's a harsh message, isn't it? The scriptures are painfully, this passage is painfully black and white. There's no modern gray area because we want there to be a gray area. I want to serve God, but I kind of want to live however I want. And God doesn't do that for us. 
He's like, I, I want to transform your life. I want to take you out of the dark and put you into the light. I want to take you out of the kingdom of, of this world and put you in the kingdom of God. I want to take you from heaven and put you in, uh, I want to take you from earth and put you in heaven. And we're like, oh, but I would like to really hold on to both. And he says, no, 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 there's no, there, there's no gray areas here. There's only black and white. By God's grace, we have the opportunity to believe and be saved. That's God's grace. By God's holiness, those, did you, did you follow that? By God's grace, he reaches out to us and says, I love you. Receive my son, Jesus Christ, and I'll, I'll rebirth you by the Holy Spirit. I'll wash away your sins. I'll bring you into the family of God and make you my own children, washed by the blood of Jesus. By his holiness, his nature of being set apart from sin. Are you with me? By his grace, we have an opportunity. By his holiness, because of his nature of holiness, those who reject Jesus are condemned and they will be punished. Salvation and punishment are both actions they are both supernatural actions of God who is in control. That's what the scriptures tell us. So in verse 1 of our passage today, Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he will and how we will be gathered to meet him. Paul is not writing to give sympathy. Paul is writing to bring clarity. The purpose of that clarity is so that we will not be easily deceived. We will recognize the obvious signs of the Antichrist. We will recognize the, uh, the uh, I wrote that twice. We, we will recognize the obvious signs, because there's more than just the, uh, the man of lawlessness. We'll recognize the man of lawlessness, and we will trust. Here's the ultimate goal. He writes this to us to bring clarity so that we will put our trust in the God who is in control of all of this. He's got the whole world in his hands. God's truth is not vague, it is clear. And we place our faith in the truth of God because truth triumphs over lawlessness. Lawlessness brings doubt, it brings fear, it brings chaos. God's truth brings clarity and it brings confidence. And it helps us to live a life worthy of God's call on our life on our life, and it causes us to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? God's a genius. Now, let's pray. I'll let you go. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your coming, of Jesus Christ returning and gathering his, his children home. Our hope is in that. Our confidence is in that. We look forward to 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 returning to heaven with you forever and ever, to be with our Father. Lord, we just pray today that we will live our lives in a way that reflects that hope, 
Help us to live lives that reflect the hope of eternity with you as opposed to a life that would reflect the fear and the chaos of lawlessness. Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, so that we will live each moment of our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ, that our lives will worship you with our actions, not just our words. Lord, I pray for all of those who call Desert Heights their home church. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in all of our hearts. Help us to die to ourselves so that you will be more alive in us, that your Holy Spirit will work in us, refine us, grow us, mature us. Help us to be a light in a darkness. Help us to be like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden, that will shine the light, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people will come to know you, they will be saved, and they can live with hope as opposed to living in fear. Father, use us to grow your kingdom. Shine your light through us. Be glorified in our church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.